You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey everyone, this week we're giving away a one-year subscription to pushlink.com, P-U-S-H-L-Y-N-K. It's valued at about 600 bucks. Pushlink allows you to send push notifications to your subscribers on almost any platform. The fact is push notifications get about 10 times the response rate when compared to traditional email. For a chance to win, subscribe to the podcast, then take a quick snapshot or picture showing you're subscribed and text it to 716-218-8981 or you can email it to growthexperts at yahoo.com. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is David Breyer. He's a branding and rebranding expert, a best selling author, a native New Yorker, a rebel, and a specialist in turning easy to miss brands into brands and movements that customers cannot ignore. He's also buddies with Damon Johns from Shark Tank, who also wrote the foreword to David's best selling book on branding called Brand Intervention. Sales expert and New York Times bestselling author Grant Cardone also calls David a branding genius. So I want to welcome the branding genius to the show. Welcome, David. Thanks so much, Dennis. I appreciate it. I appreciate being on and thank you for having me. Yes. Thanks for joining us. So branding, you wrote this book, Brand Intervention, 33 Steps to Transform the Brand You Have into the Brand You Need. And we're going to talk about not necessarily specifically just branding in the terms of what people think about branding, but what we're going to dive in today is we're going to talk about how and why it's important to differentiate your brand from your competitors. And we're going to dive into that. That's going to be the meat and potatoes that we're going to dive into in a minute. But before we do that, give us a quick backstory, a minute or two on kind of how you got here, why, you know, how this whole book came to play, and then we'll dive right in. Sure. Well, I'm in, basically, I'm a native New Yorker, as you mentioned. So I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, then then a little stint on Long Island and then moved to Manhattan. So I've, I'm definitely an urban guy. And the whole aspect of art and culture and all of that kind of stuff has always been an integral part of my life. And, you know, that's what I've been doing since really I graduated from college where I went out on my own and started working for different companies. And I've worked for global brands from Estee Lauder and Revlon and New York Times and Jim Henson to tons of startups and newer companies, which are exciting to work with because they tend to be very nimble, very able to implement things faster. They don't have all the layers and they don't have all the you know, gears and stuff that they have to shift that, you know, if we change this over here, then that's going to change over there. So they're more nimble. Okay, perfect. So how did the book come to play? Ah, the book. Well, I've been doing this for about 36 years. So I've written quite a few articles. You can probably find over 500 different articles online. I've written for everything from Fast Company and I've been, all my stuff has appeared in Adweek, Fast Company, Inc., Entrepreneur, Business Insider, etc. And at a certain point, about maybe six or seven years ago, I found that there were 
a number of key concepts and questions that happened for every company. It didn't matter. And I've literally worked for companies that have been formulated, brand new startups that might've been in existence for a couple of months to companies as old as 115 years. And it didn't matter the duration or whether it was global or local that they all had the same confusions, the same misconceptions. And if I ever overlooked any one of those, like, oh, they've got to know that, that would bite me in the butt and always just, it would raise its ugly head and say, hey, what about me? So this literally are, these are literally the exact points that I've accumulated over 30, over basically over three decades that will help navigate any company whether they're B2B or B2C, to the promised land of being valued, of being seen as unique and distinct, and not being seen as a me-too commodity. Okay, interesting. So we're going to help us unpack that a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your business now. I mean, obviously you wrote this book, but that's not your primary business. Tell me a little bit about your, your actual business, what you do day-to-day to help companies do this. Totally. Basically, at any given time, I would say that uh, we are working on 12 to 15, you know, generally about 12 to 15 different projects, different clients geographically throughout the U.S. and overseas, so really around the world. And it's literally helping them. What do they need to be called? What is their brand story? What is their this? What is their that? To really get, because the story is where it all starts. And once the story is done, I kind of refer to the story as the skeleton. And then on top of that, once you have that properly done, you can now put the skin on the bones of that. And to that is to me is the visual branding part. So one is, how are we talking about ourselves in a way that's going to be meaningful to others? And then how do we actually then look that part and look distinct and not just like some other company? So we got to differentiate at every point and every point of contact. And it's always exciting because I'm having to literally piece together a puzzle as well as sifting out the fat from the real stuff. There's so much crap, you know, 80% of what companies are usually stressing over or being distracted by is stuff that has no relevance. It's not going to trigger any sales. It's not going to result in growth. Its relevance is minimal at best. So you're really doing more brand and marketing consulting predominantly with larger brands, I assume? Actually, by choice, I work with I work with small to medium and small to medium could literally be companies that are in the startup mode up to companies that are like 300 million in sales. That's still a medium range company. I mean, one of if, as an example, one of my clients who I've actually had a, as a client for 25 years, he sold his company that I previously branded and he became a multimillionaire. He retired for, and this was six years ago, he retired for five days and couldn't stand the retirement lifestyle. So he started a new company and that was a brand new startup, had no foundation of customers or anything, started it up and six years later, helping him create that brand that as uh, recent as about four months ago was valued at 250 million in sales. So those are the kinds of companies that I like to work with. I like to work with companies where there's enough hunger, enough fearlessness and enough drive with the ability to really take action and implement the stuff that we're going to be going over when we go over it. All right. So, so you're out there working with, you know, startups all the way through companies that are doing hundreds of millions in sales. So my question to you is, let's get a little bit micro into your company, into your consulting business. 
Mm-hmm. What's the number one strategy that you're using today to get new clients? If you had to pick one and you could only fund one and had time for one, what's that one strategy, campaign, technique, or or whatever you're doing to get that those clients and make rain, make hay today? For my clients. For your business. No, for your actual oh, business. For my business. Yeah, for your business. So I want to look inside of your business and see how are you getting clients? I would say the, the thing is, creating sufficient quality content in sufficient volume. I've never been short on quality, but I tend to be a perfectionist. And Gary Vaynerchuk, who we all know, you know, one of the things that he's kind of beat the drum on over the years has been, hey, look, you know, perfection can be a, can be a killer. You know, it can actually stand in the way as a barrier to getting sufficient volume out there. And yeah. his amount of volume that he gets out there is insane. Absolutely. And, and so- that was one thing I had to kind of re-shift my discipline and going, you know what? I'm not making a summer blockbuster. I'm making, you know, this is all part of a, these are installments as part of a longer dialogue. And so basically it was really ramping up the, keeping the quality, but ramping up the quantity so that my quantity now is probably, I would say 8X what it was a year ago. See, and the great part about your business, if I'm reading between the lines, is you don't need hundreds of clients at any given point. You know, you're, you're much more boutique, right? You have 12 to 15, very hand selected, highly qualified clients. So it's great. But you, you, like every consulting cycle, like every business, there's going to be a cycle. Some clients you're going to have for years, some clients you're only going to have for months, depending upon the engagement. So my question is, is that if content marketing is the primary driver of your business, as far as getting new customers today, could you describe whether it be a campaign or a piece of content or something more specific, peel the onion back a little bit further where, where you had the, where it really started generating the amount of leads and the quality of leads that you, that led to clients. Completely. I'll give you a very practical example. So in November, end of November last year is when the book published and within two days, it became a number one Amazon bestseller. And that blew my mind. In fact, we had three versions, hardcover, paperback and ebook. And all three were in the top, top 10. Did right? you self-publish or was that a publisher? <laughs> no, we, we actually, I chose to self-publish because okay. I really wanted, it was very hands-on as far as the design of it is so unlike any other book. No, it that's, is, that's fine. Was, I, was, I was just curious. Yeah. Absolutely. Continue absolutely. on, so continue that, that was, on that with that. That was a very conscious choice. Okay. It was a conscious choice. So what happened was, was all of a sudden people were, who either had known me or been following me. It's like, I want, they want the book and da, 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 da. And all this stuff started to occur. And then people started sending in photographs of themselves holding the book. And it started to become this little, this little micro movement. And so I'm looking at this at the end of the year. I'm going, how am I going to amplify this and fortify this? I'm not interested in this fire going out prematurely. So I made a very conscious decision to basically start putting out a weekly YouTube series called One Minute Wednesdays. And every Wednesday morning, there is a video. And, I, and in one minute, and when you start doing this, at first, I don't know about others. When I first thought of that, I, I love the concept because I knew, okay, you knew what day it was and it, you knew that it was one minute. So it was short and it was to the point. So it was, I loved, it was very exact and, and you knew when and where to be. Good. But the problem was, was I was like, could I really actually say a lot or have the content be edited down to one minute? Because I can say a lot. I can cover a lot. I tend to talk fast, which is fine. But could we successfully do it? And so that was the challenge. And I said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to dive into the deep end of the pool. I, I have no safety net. I'm just going in. And it started to 
take off and people. And I knew one of the things that I found was I traveled someplace in March. So the One Minute Wednesdays had been out for uh, three months. And I'd gone someplace that I've gone before where I know a lot of people. But this time, people would see me across the room and they would beeline straight to me. People who I, I honestly, between you and me, I had no idea who these people were. But they knew me because they were seeing me every week. And they would come over and they would be thanking me. And thank you so much for this. And thank you so much. By the way, your advice on this and did it. And all of a sudden, I had this level of new notoriety and celebrity that I hadn't experienced before. So it was, it was a very measurable kind of thing. So then I started to amplify that and flank that with other efforts like Alexa, brief, flash briefings and such like that. But that's an example of that. So you did a YouTube show. It was on YouTube, right? It is, and it continues to be. Every every Wednesday, we drop a new episode. So yep. it wasn't live. It was a recorded, edited show, but you would publish it every Wednesday. Absolutely. And it was edited down to one minute, so it's bite-sized, very consumable. And yep. that that the, the topic of that was focused in and around, I'm sure, branding, right? I mean, it had to have something to do with branding, considering it was a spinoff of the book. Absolutely. Plus, and I'll share this with you and your listeners, is I learned from Damon John I learned because, you know, when we were when we were talking about different things and different projects, Damon would say, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be in L.A. this week filming Shark Tank. You know, we were doing the whole season and I kind of started to understand how it worked. They take an entire season. What they what they do is they'll be interviewing six or seven or eight actual pitches every day. A pitch is anywhere from an hour to three hours, which is knocked into. If you know the format of the show, each pitch is 15 minutes. From right. pitch to conclusion. Right. So that's that is editing from hell. So that's where I learned. I was like, okay, if they can do an entire season in a week, we can take a five minute or or eight minute riff that I'm covering a topic on and ask my videographer. I said, you need this is this is where the challenge is. You need to edit it down and make it cohesive into sixty seconds. And so that's what we've mastered. Where can my listeners tune into that? Because I think they'd be interested to kind of get a not only the advice, but an example of how that contents work for you. Yeah, I would say, I mean, the simplest way, the YouTube channel, it was an early weird one before I ever knew anything, before any of us any knew anything. So the weird, the name of the channel is odd. It's called Head Music, M-U-S-I-K. But the simpler thing is just my name, David Breyer YouTube, B-R-I-E-R. If they just go David Breyer YouTube, they'll find the channel and it's one of the playlists and they can see because we just are, we're just dropping, I think, episode 31 tomorrow. And so it's going to be awesome. Perfect. All right. Well, listen, now we're going to pivot into the bigger topic and the one that I I think is really, really valuable to the audience. You know, I know and everybody knows how important it is to differentiate yourself. I think the challenging part is, is the do versus the say I'm going to do, right? I mean, Everybody says they have great technology. Everybody says they have great pricing. Everybody says they have great service. It takes more than that to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And so what I'd like you to do, if you would, is to kind of share with some tips or strategy or a framework on how my audience can start looking at their business and figuring out a way to differentiate themselves to stand out from the crowd. Could you help us with that? Absolutely. Glad to. Here's how it works. I'm going to give you a couple of overall Context to frame this properly. 
So the first thing is, is that if you're using, now the things that you just said were great examples of cliches. You know, we're great. You know, we have state-of-the-art stuff. We have knowledgeable staff. We, have, we care about our customer. We blah, 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 whatever the hell it is. Exactly. You know, all of that is, there's nothing wrong with those things. But what is wrong with those things is that your cust- is that your competitors are saying pretty much the same things. That's the problem. Yeah, even if it's not true, they're saying the same things. Exactly. So this has nothing to do with, I mean, if any of your listeners are saying, but it's really true for us, you know what? It doesn't matter in the game of branding and perception. It doesn't matter. We're not talking about, is it true or is it false? What we're talking about is, how are you going to rise above the noise? Because every industry has noise. And that noise is filled with promises, cliches, et cetera. And cliches are your number one enemy that stand in the way of you successfully branding and differentiating. Now, so let me give you a couple of key points. One is, and this is, I cover very fully in the book, is the definition of branding. There was not a single agreed upon definition of branding. And I know that because I looked on Amazon and I found, and recently I rechecked, there's over 8,300, 8,300 books on branding, just on branding. Okay. Not, this is not romance. This is not, uh, you know, whatever science fiction or, or, or fantasy. This is, or murder mysteries. This is a specific business tool. 8,300 books. That's a lot of opinions and ideas. Now, if you were literally to read one book a day, it would take you over 22 years to read every one of these. And you still wouldn't find one agreed upon definition. So I went about defining it and it comes down to a four-word definition. Branding is, here it is, the art of differentiation. That is what branding is. And that applies to the words you use, the way you present your brand, the choices you make in every way, every medium that you choose, every channel you choose, the way that you service customers, the way that you might dress your staff, the way that your branding looks in terms of the design, the packaging, the delivery mechanisms. All of those things are part of branding as long as they differentiate. Because if you're using cliches, this one is a rule. This one is gold right here. If you're using cliches, you're promoting your category, not your brand. Cliches, the use of them, you're promoting your category. You're basically saying, it's kind of like saying, but but we're the honest lawyer or we're the honest software company or we're the this. Then you're reminding people that that you are one of those. You're part of that industry. You're not separating yourself out. So I'm going to give you a practical example so that your listeners really can take this home. It works like this. If I came to you and I said, I said, all right, Dennis, here's the deal. Here are these two brands. Let's say you and I were out shopping, like we, whatever. We were just hanging out in the after, one afternoon and we were thirsty. We went to a store, convenience shop, and I said, hey, man, here's two brands. There's a, this brand A, 16 ounces of water, brand B, 16 ounces of water. And the, neither of those companies did a particularly good job in in any way, distinguishing what was in there or how it was different. If neither of them successfully differentiated themselves from the other, what is going to happen? You, Dennis, you're going to say, well, if they're both the same, well, then which one's cheaper? Exactly. Now, that's not because you're cheap, but it's because you and I, as customers, we demand a point of difference. Things can't all be the same. Why do people shop? You know, let's say, let's take a look at your Walmart shopper, your Walmart shopper. Why do they go to Walmart? Because the difference, the value to them, and really value and differentiation are synonymous here, the value to them is lowest price. So Walmart's done the job to basically say, hey, we're going to give you the lowest price. Okay, that's the differentiator for that audience. The differentiator for the Apple advocate who loves their iPhones and their iMacs and their iPads, 
that is the, the value there and the differentiator there is that you're going to get the best user experience. You're going to get the most, you know, the coolest this, the coolest that, the design, et cetera, et cetera. And price is not the driver. But differentiation is what is going to separate because it is much better to be different than it is to be better. When you say as a brand, we are better, you're keeping yourself in the same category as your competition. That's not where your power is going to be. Your power is to actually be different. I took as an example, just as a very simple example, it's just uh, there's a client of ours on the West Coast. They have a clinic where they actually help people with wellness, but their company was called Health Now. And I was like, and once I, they explained to me exactly their point of difference, I said, why the hell are you calling yourself Health Now? What does that tell anybody? What, you know, tell me why I should give a damn. That doesn't tell me why I should give a damn. So I found that and understood what they did. And they provided all of these alternative treatments to regular Western medicine. So they had physical therapy and they had chiropractic and nutritional, all this kind of stuff. And they had incredible results. But the reason was, was because their philosophy was they didn't just treat symptoms. They actually addressed the causes of why you were experiencing X, Y, Z. So the name of it now is Root Cause Medical. And people were like, and the whole thing was like to regain, reclaim, and retain your life, right? So the whole thing, that separated them out. We weren't any longer saying we're just health now or medical clinic. No, we're root cause medical clinic. We actually find the roots, the root cause to problems and we solve them. That's just one small example. I have tons on our website. There are tons of examples where you see befores and afters, et cetera. But does that, was the, does that give your listeners a good bead on how they could use differentiation to separate themselves out? Yeah, it does. And I think I want to hone in on an example you were alluding to early on where you were talking about, I think you were talking about like bottled water, right? You and I yep. were going to pick a bottle of water. There was no differentiation, you know, between the brands. And so we're going to go to the cheapest. Well, it's yep. funny because not long ago, I read an article and about, I think it was the 10 most expensive brands of bottled water. Okay. And yep. it really blew my mind because I don't think people realize it or not, but you can go buy a bottle of water, you know, at 7-Eleven or, or any, almost any store, Walmart for a less than a buck, right? Consistently, you can find it for a buck, right? A bottle of water. Mm -hmm. But there are people out there that are paying, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, even $50 for a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I guess the important thing that I want to share and maybe that you could expand on is, you know, I have a lot of people that I talk to, whether they be young entrepreneurs or people that even have successful businesses, but have hit a wall and they say, well, you know, it's, I can't differentiate my market is very commoditized. What do you say to that? And how do you think that parallels with that whole uh, most expensive bottle water brands? Well, the bottom line is, is we're dealing with, you have to work out your brand story. There is, and I'll tell you, when I hear people say, well, we're really commoditized, really commoditized, uh, or we're in a commoditized industry. Well, that's fine. Let's take it a really, let's look at a really commoditized industry, the vacuum cleaner industry. Before Dyson came along, you want a commoditized industry? There was one. Everybody basically had their own version of the little bag vacuum cleaner. And the only difference was an external shell. So that, talk about a commodity. And along comes Dyson. And I think last I'd heard, he had like either 2,000, 5,000 prototypes before he nailed it. But he, he developed his turbine technology. He used design a lot. You actually got to see the turbine thing as it was cleaning your floor. 
And they picked these wild colors, really probably inspired by when Steve Jobs returned to Apple and they first came out with those iMacs that there were grape and they were strawberry and blueberry and all those wild colors that nobody had done before in the basically the hardware space. So what you have to ask yourself is, you know, what do we need to do? How far do we need to move the lever to actually change this industry? If you want to make little incremental changes, you might see some upticks, but that's not going to do it. You need to correctly estimate, say, okay, why are things the way they are today in our industry? What are the usual and expected solutions? What are those? And then why? You need to basically be willing to challenge the status quo. You need to be able to say, so why is that? What, how could it be done differently? And here's a great question. Everyone can apply this. If this service or industry, whatever space you're in, it doesn't matter whether it's a physical object or whether you're offering a subscription service or whether you're actually offering whatever you're offering, it doesn't matter. If we were creating this today, brand new, what would we be doing the same thing or would we be doing, doing something different? Because I remember that, remember that Henry Ford quote where they were, he asked customers, you know, if he said, if I asked customers what they would want, they would have said faster horses. Exactly. And so that's what it comes down to is really step, you need to be willing and able to step back and say, okay, we know that we've had this model based on what we've previously observed. Now, if we were literally starting this brand new fresh today with today's technologies, today's cultural needs, today's client and customer obsession with speed and things being faster and things being smaller and things being simpler, would we actually come up with this as the solution today? Do we need to change this around? And companies, the last thing I'll say about this as well, companies focus too much on what they've made or what they've done or what they're going to do as a service. And that's part of the equation, but it's not about that because people aren't buying that. It's kind of like, so when women buy perfume, they're buying a freaking formulation, but what they're actually, now that's what they're being sold as a formulation, but what they're buying is actually smelling and looking beautiful. So you need to separate out the difference between what you're selling and what your customer is actually buying. Is it greater efficiency? Is it a faster result? Is it a smaller way to do things, et cetera? Yep. No, that's perfect. I agree. Thank you so much for clarifying that. That's been really helpful. So we're going to do some rapid fire on the last couple of questions, and then we're going to wrap up. What's your favorite growth tool or software that you're using today to grow your own business? Oh, God. I thought you were going to throw me an easy one. (laughs) There are too many damn options. Just pick one. Anyone. Just pick your favorite. Pick my favorite. I would say I I I probably like Adobe Spark because it actually allows me to create some nice, simple, interactive Instagram posts. Perfect. And what's one book besides your book that you would recommend? Besides to, my book. Yeah, besides your book that you would recommend <laughs> to the audience as it relates to helping them grow their business and on their way throughout their entrepreneurial journey? I would say, actually, I really love Damon John's book, The Power of Broke, because in that, Damon really, you know, Damon came from a single parent who had three jobs. She worked three jobs to be able to give him a a life. I mean, so he did not have a very affluent upbringing, which he outlines in his books and such like that. So he had to learn to be resourceful and be inventive without the cushion of money or safety net. And the power book really touches upon that mentality. And I find that it's a great book. And I think it's a great lesson because I think today there's too much 
of this idea that, well, if we had more money, we would do blank or we could do blank. And I, to, you know, my response is that's BS. Yeah. The, po- resource will get expensive. the Power of Broke by Damon Johns, right? Yep. Perfect. Well, listen, before we wrap it up, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about getting your book, and then we'll close it out for today. Absolutely. Well, my website is called Rising, R-I-S-I-N-G, risingabovethenoise.com. And from there, you could find really everything. But risingabovethenoise.com, I would say subscribe to our, there's a free book there that you can get. It's a free book called The Lucky Brand. You can get that. And that's a really wonderful primer. Brand intervention, you can get it at any bookstore or you can order it on online at Amazon. But if you're going to order it, I will tell you now, if you expect for me to ever come out and maybe be in your area and ask me to sign it, I will only sign the hardcover version because it has the best production values and I want you to have the best experience. So that's my thing. If you're going to go get it, go get it. Plus, you're worth the investment. You're worth the extra few bucks to get the hardcover version. It will, You'll love it. It's a great book, unlike anything else. And so those are the two places. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me a lot on Twitter and definitely on LinkedIn. Hook, hook up with me on LinkedIn because there's a lot going on there these days. A lot. Well, I'll definitely put all those links in the show notes. I'm definitely going to grab a copy of the book for myself. And I want to thank you, David, for joining me. And I'm sure we'll be talking again real soon. Oh, absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. And if any of your any of your listeners have questions, they're like, well, you know, that's great. Blah, 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 blah. Tell them to reach out. I mean, definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn and just say, hey, you know, I have some questions. I always like to be responsive and help people grow and help them turn into the next amazing movement. Perfect. You heard him, audience. Reach out on LinkedIn and we'll chat soon. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.